The following audio content is a talk from Convergence, a service for young adults at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at upc.org forward slash young adults. Well, as we uh, have talked about and as we have, have gone through uh, the gospel, hopefully you've picked up this sense that so much of what John is talking about is a sense of, of, of that Jesus is calling us to live in connection. The key in this gospel is this life of living in connection and absolute dependence on the Father. And out of that comes this, this sense of overflowing, this, this sense that there is uh, a power, that there is a, a joy, there's an abundance that we can experience, but it comes out of this relationship. We saw that hopefully a little bit last week as we looked at Jesus standing beaten and battered before Pilate. And yet there is a strength to him as he stands there with a, a very different power than what... Pilate is, is showing and exhibiting that when the Pharisees uh, are about. Well, living a life that is connected, that is sort of tapped in, that is in relationship with the God that Jesus calls his father, his, his daddy, his Abba. It's one thing to say, it's another thing to do. So another thing to actually to live out. And, and see, here's the thing that when we actually kind of push down into this to experience the, the transformative work, the guidance that God wants to give us, the empowerment that he wants to give us, it, it works itself out not so much in isolation, but it works itself out in community, which is why we've, we talked at the beginning of, uh, right after Christmas about the importance of small groups. It, it works itself out as we come around those with others, around focused on Jesus Christ, focused on his word and what it has to say to us. It, it works itself out in community. Well, what we want to do tonight is essentially is, is do that very thing. What we want to do is look at a passage that is, that is all about this dynamic of connection and living in relationship with the God who calls us. And what we want to do is we're going to, we're going to kind of bat it around. I've invited two special guests to do that with us tonight. I'm going to ask them to come on up. To, let's welcome them, will you? Joining us tonight is our very own senior pastor, George Hinman, who uh, you've seen around in, in his few short months here. Uh, I, have had a, uh, I have loved working with George and, and learning from him, and I'm excited about where our church is going under his leadership. And, and Julie Metzger is, uh, is an educator. Uh, she is a nurse, and uh, she's also UPC elder and has uh, brought a ton uh, to this UPC community through her leadership. But I know that as we've even gotten a, a short time of sitting down and having lunch and talking together, uh, she's a kick. She's fun. Uh, and you're going to learn a lot from her. What I, want us, what I want us to do is I want us to look at John 15. So for some of us, we'll be unfamiliar. For uh, some of us, we will have, we'll know this passage. But it, regardless, it, it is going to speak into our lives tonight. It, it has got something for us. So what I want to do is I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to read through, and then we'll, we'll get into it and see what happens. So uh, John 15, if you have your Bibles with you, otherwise you can see it's going to be up on the, on the screen uh, behind you. I'm reading out of the NIV. So let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this gospel. I thank you for uh, how by your spirit it was inspired that, that John wrote these words down uh, for us, that we would know who you are, that what you were about and the call that you want to, to place on our lives. Lord, I pray that that same Holy Spirit, Lord, that is alive and kicking in at work today, Lord, would speak into our hearts. That, that the story that we find on these pages, the instruction on these pages would connect with who we are, would instruct our life even for today. 
would draw us closer to you. Lord, we pray for the work of that spirit uh, in this room tonight. Pray this in your name. Amen. John 15:1. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, they are thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. Well, George, we're gonna, I'm going to start with you and ask, as you have reflected on, on this passage, how have you come to understand it? How has it spoken to you? How does it guide you? Well, I want to uh, first start by saying thank you for inviting me. I don't know how many of you are uh, new to Convergence, but I am. This is my first night here, so we can be new together. Um, and I'm sort of sick of um, following John, actually. This is the second time today that I have, I want to sit down and just listen to John. I don't want to speak in his presence. I had to, this morning, it was a Tuesday Bible, I don't know what they call this group. Um, Tuesday Bible Fellowship. Tuesday Bible Fellowship. John was the speaker and I was the program. I, mean, I still don't know what the distinction was. I didn't get to hear him. I came in later and, and they all were ooing and aahing and how great John was. He went over, but we just loved every minute of John. 96 years old, you know, this guy. So, um, <clears throat> I Basically, I, George went in and mopped up my mess. Yeah, is what he's trying <laughs> to say. Cleaned up the theology a little bit, but <laughs> I am. You can't believe everything you hear, right? I'm really glad to be here. I'm really glad that you're here and that we have a community of young adults that's thriving, that's so healthy as convergence. So thank you for your participation. And it's not about John. It's not about the people that are up front holding guitars or whatever. It's about every person in this community. And uh, we need everybody to work that part. So whether you're new or old, uh, you're doing a good thing by getting involved here. And I just want to commend you for that. Now, on, the, on this text, <clears throat> I love this text. Let me also say, you catch a pastor on Tuesday, you catch him working on a sermon. You know, I'm, I'm midweek, I'm, I'm new to the church, which means I haven't done any advanced studies, so Sundays just come flying at me two a week, and I'm, I'm, so I'm scrambling to get my sermon together for this Sunday, and I'm studying Psalm 73. And there's a place, and I can't tell you the verse number in there, that, <clears throat> where the psalmist says, you know, the righteous, uh, the unrighteous seem to be prospering even more than, than the righteous. 
And so maybe I've washed my hands in vain, he says. Catch that, what he's saying there. He's basically saying, hey, you know, if good things will happen to people who don't follow your ways. Why do I waste my time trying to be a good person? And, and what's interesting about that is that person so much like me who thinks it's all about himself. It's the whole, this whole religion or God thing is all about how I can enhance my own experience and, and meet my own needs. And so the first thing that I bring to this text, John 15, this is just by way of confession, is an intense raging narcissism. And I think Jesus is calling his disciples out of that. Let me get at this another way. I was, uh, I was taking a class, actually at John's Amara. You may not know, he, he uh, studied up in Vancouver at Seminary Regent, and I was there a couple summers ago. And I overheard some young adults, and they were talking. <clears throat> and I always love to eavesdrop, you know, so this is what pastors do. Be careful what you say within 20 yards of a pastor, because it could come into a sermon <laughs> illustration. Yeah. And yeah. <clears throat> so this guy goes, I feel like a superhero, except I have no powers and no motivation. <laughs> I love that. <clears throat> that stuck with me. I feel like a superhero, except I have no powers and no motivation. That is to say, I can't do, you know, I, you know, I know that the world's got a bunch of problems, but I, I can't do anything about it. I'm just totally powerless. And I'm not even sure if I care that much, you, you know? I mean, let's be honest. Sometimes we care, but there are also times where we're strikingly apathetic. You, you, you know, you, you read something on a, a website about a tragedy, <clears throat> And you think, I should, I should really be hurting because of that. But there's something very numb about your heart. And you just don't feel like you're able to connect emotionally with the reality of that circumstance. I think some of that has to do with narcissism. And Jesus in this passage is, is saying, there are two things you need to understand. It's, it's the you part, and it's the me part. And, and Jesus is not just calling us to confess stuff about him or to know stuff about ourselves. It's the, it's the transaction between the two that matters. It's this idea that you can't have a branch without a vine, and you can't have a vine without a branch. The two have to be connected together. And that's what Jesus is, that's the radical lifestyle he's presenting. So imagine that you were a follower of Jesus. Imagine that you're one of the 12 uh, disciples. <clears throat> you know, if, if, you, if you know the story, you know that this passage, this, this, this little story, this illustration that Jesus is giving about the the vine and the branches, comes on the last night that he's alive on the planet. And, and Jesus was, um, had, he had a public ministry for about three years, going around uh, Jerusalem and also the area to the north of Jerusalem, Galilee, Capernaum. And uh, <clears throat> so these men in, in the room that hear this, he's in the upper room, or he's actually just left the upper room. Uh, they're, they're hearing Jesus talk about this after they've been with him for three years. So they have a relationship with him. If you read the Gospel of John, you just sort of think about that, what they've seen. Well, they've seen Jesus speaking to the woman at the well, uh, speaking to her in a way that they'd not heard a man speak to a woman or a Jew speak to a Samaritan, breaking these barriers. Uh, very compassionate. They've seen him help this man at the, at the pools of um, Bethsaida, saying just, uh, you know, get up, take up your pallet and walk. Um, they've seen him with a man born blind, restore his sight. They've seen him condemn the Pharisees who are too self-righteous. So they, they love him. This guy is so cool. He always knows what to do. He's always fun to be around. He's always changing the paradigm. He's blowing people's minds up with a new way of looking at life. And now this is his last night. 
And he says, I, I want to have a meal with you. Takes them into a room. He washes their feet. And he begins to talk, talk funny. He, he begins to suggest that maybe he's not going to be around much longer. And how would you feel? I mean, maybe you were once a fisherman, you had a job, but you haven't done that for three years. You've been wandering around with this guy, seeing things that you never thought you could imagine. And he says, it's time for me to go now. Can you imagine the, the grief and the dismay that these men must have felt in that room at that time? You're going to go? You know, This thing's just getting started. You're going to leave me? Well, <clears throat> so what Jesus is doing, it seems to me, in this passage, is he's, he's helping them to see what it will mean to relate to him even when he's gone. See, what he, he wants them to know is, yeah, I'm going, but you're going to continue to relate to me as or more intimately than you have when you were with me for, for three years. All the things that we've done together, all the adventures, the, the coming of the kingdom of God, the teaching, the excitement, the mission that turns the world upside down, all that stuff continues, and I'm going to be doing it with you, but you're not going to be able to see me. So there are several images. This is called the, the uh, Upper Room Discourse. Uh, he goes through these three chapters, four, actually 4, 14 through 17 um, in John. That's what he's doing. He, and I believe those, these chapters are written for you and me. Because Jesus wants us to know what it means to be intimate with him and to experience his intimacy with us, even those of us who have never seen him face to face. So he says, here's an image. It's the vine. It's a branch. And I'll, I'll give... Um, my wife told me wisely as we're having dinner tonight, whatever Julie says, you agree. So I'm, Julie is a great uh, elder. She's a great speaker. And I, and so I, I am, I'm going to shut up here in a minute and let you benefit from her teaching. But um, <clears throat> my mother is a, my mother's a landscape architect, and, which means that she's got a great Rolodex of people who you know, work on the yards and stuff. And when I visit her, she's got a nice garden. I love to sit in the second floor window and spy on uh, one of her arborists. It's a guy named Mr. Naido. I think he's Japanese. He drives this big dilapidated truck with the uh, reflective letters on the side that you can buy at a hardware store. And he's spelled out Mr. Naido on his truck. <clears throat> he's a very gracious man, not terribly tall. And uh, <clears throat> a gentleman, really. He, he would stand there and he will just look at that tree. He, and you think, I hope you don't pay this guy by the hour, because he just stands there, and he's just looking at the tree, a student of a tree. And I go, well, get to work, but he's working. And he'll look at it I know, for 20 minutes, and I'll look out the window, and I'll watch him. I can't even watch him watch that long. <clears throat> but, but what he will have done is he'll as, as, have asked my mom, now, how do you want this tree to grow? Do you want it over the path? Do you want it kind of low below the window? Do you want it to grow tall over a number of years and open up and be airy? And so she describes what effect she wants. And then he studies the tree, and he's trying to see where the life is flowing in the tree. That's, that's what I think, what he's looking for. He's trying to see what that tree should look like in 10 years. And he's trying to see what potential the current configuration of the structure of the tree has to, to, to realize that. And so Jesus here, as he's talking to uh, his disciples, the, one of the awkward places in the in this uh, analogy is the pruning he wants to, he's going to prune he says my father is um, not just the gardener but the vine dresser the one who prunes or cuts now I don't know about you that to me sounds painful 
And I think it is. Uh, but there are two reasons Mr. Nido will prune a tree. Uh, one reason is to, is, to, is to improve its shape, to have it look the way it should look. The other reason is to maximize the lifeblood of the tree into those branches that represent its future, where it's going. And so Jesus will come along for you and me and say, nope, not so much that. And we go, ouch. But, but the, the motivation here, I hope you catch this verse 11. Jesus says, and I'll close with this, I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and so that your joy may be complete. I mean, so he, what, he's, what, he, what, he, what he's looking, when he looks at your life, what he wants is a picture of beauty 10 to 15 years from now. That beauty he calls joy. It's the thing that set him apart from any other human being that's ever walked the face of this earth. Real joy. And he goes, that's what I want to be in you. So connect with me. Let me do my work in you. And you're gonna you're gonna like what you see over time. It's about that relationship. Julie, how did you come to this passage? How John, you... thank you for inviting me to mop up after George. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, I am the vine; you are the branches. I think of this as a friendship chapter. He speaks about being friends, so it makes me ask, who are his friends? And I, I'm always glad when I get a chance to talk to teens and preteens to remind them that Jesus did not choose the popular people to hang out with. And even though he had access to the whole celestial Facebook thing, his father didn't look down and go, be careful of that guy. He's going to sleep through your darkest hour. Careful of that guy. He's going to be denying you. His father didn't even protect him from these kind of this motley crowd that he's with. And here he's hung out for three years and it's his final night. And being a parent, you know, rule number one of parenthood is you don't send your kids out with new information. You want to build on what you've already built along the way. It's not like you, I'm a, I teach sex and sex education. It's not the point when you send your 16 year old that says, oh, and by the way, let me tell you a little bit about sex as they're walking out the door. You want to have built this foundation along the way. So it's helpful to think of I am the vine, you are the branches in relationship to the other I am statements that Jesus makes in this chapter, which is I am the bread, I am the resurrection, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I am the gate, I am the good shepherd. And what I like about I am the vine and the branches is it's consistent about who Jesus is. And then he speaks about this to these to these friends that so far don't have an enormously amazing track record at even understanding what he has to say. And now they're going to be left, as George said, with, you know, very little backup, little mop-up plan in place and no, you know, next chapter outlined. It's just more about who I am. So there's two things that strike me about this idea of I am the vine and you are the branches. The first is how incredible to be a part of this whole thing. I mean, we're talking about the creator. So uh, being a part of it at all seems extraordinary to me, that you're actually a part of it. I don't think this is the promise that Zeus lays out, right? It's, it's a new way of thinking about being connected to the eternal God. And the fact that you actually could be a part of that, that's amazing to me. The second part that seems amazing to me is how much restraint is in the sentence. I am the vine, you are the branches. He could have said, I am the fly swatter, you are the fly, right? I am the foot, you are the ant. But instead he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. 
How much restraint is that for somebody that actually could have come down, son of God and all that, and just done this whole thing without these funny friends, and he could have come in and taken over the world, and instead he says things like bread of life and the way, the truth, and the life. We had a friend, a very close friend, die last week. He would have been uh, 49 this weekend. Uh, He died, uh, and he had many fruits, the world's fruits. He uh, graduated top of his class at West Point. He served our country in the military. He was a Stanford MBA. He was a Microsoft vice president. He was a multimillionaire. He had four lots on the on the uh, beach of uh, Lake Washington, four beautiful children. And he spent the last eight weeks of his life in the ICU at the VA dying of alcoholism. Although he had the fruits of what the world would say was a very fruitful life, he was an orchard. Um, The incredible part was, I think his addiction, sometimes he was thinking, I am the vine. And sometimes I think his addiction said to himself, he said to himself, I am not worthy to be the branch. And to me, that is the superhero without any powers. I am both the vine, I can do it myself, and I am not worthy to be a branch. I am nothing. When I teach this class to um, preteens and teens, um, we do these introductions, and I say to this to the kids, uh, introduce yourself, the adult that brought you, and tell us something you enjoy doing together. And one night, it was a room about this size, and they kind of went around quickly, and, you know, I'm Mary, this is my mom, Jane, and this is what we like. We like swimming, and la, la, la. And we get to the end. These girls are between 10 and 12 years old. <clears throat> and we get to the end, and this girl says, my name is Colleen, this is my mother, Joan. And every day, we talk about the canopy on the forest floor. Gosh, I've been teaching this class for 20 years. I don't think I've ever heard that. What does that mean? And she said, "Um, the rainforest. And I said, you talk about the rainforest every day? She said, no, 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 the highs and lows of every day. I said, wow, it's just so incredible, this relationship with you and your parents. You're going to talk about the highs and lows of the everyday, and you call it the canopy in the forest floor. So I went home and I Googled forest floor, canopy, rainforest. I was just wanted to think more about that because it's a very viney place, a lot of branches. And I was thinking, wow, isn't this incredible, the canopy? You know that the, the rainforest is an ecosystem that can govern the climate of our globe and yet it's 3% of all land. Over 50 to, seven, well, 50 to 75% of all species on our planet live in the canopy. It's an incredibly abundant place filled with vines. The forest floor is dark. It's 2% light. It is extremely dark. It's not a place to hang out. It's not very fun, and yet the rainforest is is only intact with both the canopy and the forest floor. There's times when we think, I am the vine. I belong in that canopy. I deserve it. I prayed hard for it. I worked really hard for it. I've bought it. 
I earned it. I belong there. And when we do that, we, of course, when we're down on the forest floor, because when we go down on the forest floor on a pretty regular basis, if we're really human being, then we feel very disappointed in that experience. But in fact, the forest floor is part of the rainforest. When we're down on the forest floor, if we think to ourselves, wow, this is dark down here, and I don't deserve to be in the canopy, then we lose sight of the entire rainforest and the vines that are up there. I think sometimes we think, I'm a vine, or I'd like to be attached to the vine because good things will happen to me. It doesn't guarantee that we won't also step onto the forest floor. The whole idea is to remember that through both suffering and abundance, we're a part of that whole rainforest. That in and of itself, that ecosystem is part of who we are as Christians. When Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branch, it's about, it's about the fruits that come from the experience of being in that entire ecosystem. It's not a guarantee of being in the canopy. It's about a guarantee of being in the rainforest. See, because that's where you can swing the best, right? Tarzani lifts himself up off the vine, straight off the forest floor. It's a good gig. George of the jungle. George of the jungle. All right. I know for me, uh, um, thanks, you guys. For me, one of the things, George, you talked about narcissism that that struck me, that that I love in this passage has to get get at that thing of I chose you, you didn't choose me. That I think narcissism often, and I certainly have experienced that in my life, it leads to this sense of despair because pretty soon you realize I might want to be a superhero, but really I don't have any motivation and I really don't have any power. And yet what Jesus says, it's not about you. It is about me and what I want to do in and through you. It's it's the life, it's the abundant life that I, I want to call you into. And I take you seriously. Um, my question, I think, for to, to go back on this is did... Would you guys reflect a little bit for us on, well, what does that look like for you to try to live into this reality? You gave us a great vision for it, but what does it mean to actually do it? And can you, can you reflect a little bit for us how you've tried to live into that? And, and granted, imperfectly. I mean, we're all, we're all human, but as we're trying to figure this out uh, in our life, what, at whatever stage we're at, can you share with us a little bit into your journey in this? Uh, yes. Um, Atta boy. <laughs> I, I, let me. Could you talk about where you've been pruned? Uh, well, okay, I'll I'll talk about. I will because I think it's important. Um, I was gonna. I, I'll come back to uh, the narcissism thing. But yeah, I, when I was um, speaking of sex education, <laughs> I was in. Uh, I worry. Uh, um, I was in college and uh, not a thriving. Uh, Believer, I would say, at the beginning of college, I was kind of drifting away, and um, and but I had a kind of renewal in my faith. I, I was invited into a Bible study, and I got into a small group with some peers for the first time in years, and said, "Well, let, who is Jesus? And, and let's take his claims seriously. What, what a difference life would be, what what a difference it would make if we really took these promises seriously." So I was growing, but. I, I was kind of a closet Christian. I wasn't, uh, you know, public with that. And I was—I had a relationship with a woman that I was dating, and uh, it was very exciting, you know. And uh, we, we were in love, and um, so I wasn't going to spoil that by letting her know that I was sort of trying to figure out who Jesus was at the same time. Uh, and turns out she was a Christian also, 
And she wasn't sharing that with me either. This is the only way God could have gotten either of us to date an actual Christian. Um, so to withhold this information, we would make up lies about where we were going on Tuesday or Wednesday night when we had to go to our small groups. Nice. <clears throat> it's a good relationship. Very strong Well, Julie, comment on that later. <laughs> yeah, no, I think we're running out of battery on this mic. It's too bad. Um, I... Uh, so I went to my, you know, like any man of God would do, you know, I went to my Bible study leader and I said, so the Bible doesn't really say anything um, about sex, does it, right? I mean, I kind of, a little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing, you know, and I, I was convinced that I had, a, after seven weeks of Bible study, a pretty good handle on the whole book. <clears throat> and he, and he said, uh, he said, uh, George, let me just show you a couple passages. And so he flipped me through, you know, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians 6, and, and uh, talked about you know, fornication in, in one translation. He says, uh, George, you know what fornication is? And I said, no, but I know I don't do it. You know, it sounds nasty. <laughs> We're not recording tonight, are we? Or... <laughs> Either nasty or illegal. Yeah. yeah. No. No, I, I don't, but I'm not worried about it. Was that the definition? Because that was the best definition I've ever heard. <laughs> no, the definition. So he says, well, what the, that biblical word simply means is sex outside of marriage. It's this very broad word. And so I said, oh, you know, yes, that limits uh, the possibilities a little bit for me, doesn't it? And that, to me, was an experience of pruning where... Uh, you know, if you, and people will say, well, why? Why does God say that? You, you know, in a loving relationship? It, you know, the kind of family I'd grown up with, my dad said, hey, just make sure you love the girl. And, you know, it's, um, and my mom would look over and she goes, I think the Bible says something about that. And he goes, really? And they get in a fight and I was just relieved that we're not talking about sex anymore. This is the kind yeah, nice. of sex education I had. Um, <clears throat> so anyways, yeah, I mean, I think the pruning comes when you, and among other places, you, you read the Bible. Because he says, um, in, in, this, in this text, there's a pun in, in Greek on pruning and cleansing. It's the same word in Greek. And the translations don't help us to see that. Jesus says, every branch uh, that bear, bear fruit, bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You've already been cleansed or pruned by the word that I have spoken to you. So it's his word that speaks into our lives that says, no, take this path and not that path because this is the one of health and wholeness and peace and joy for you. And sometimes we just take that on faith. You see, just trust me on this one. That was my roommate's campaign slogan. Trust me on this one. Um, and, but there's always a good reason, unlike in my roommate's run for student council. Um, so anyways, that's, that's an area of, of pruning, and um, it happens to me all the time. Sometimes it happens because I read something in the Bible. More often it comes uh, from friends who say, you know what, George, that thing you did, that's not really a good thing. It wasn't really f- as funny to the rest of us as it was to you. <laughs> so I feel like I'm getting some pruning there. There's, there's pruning around narcissism. I'm extremely familiar with that. But there's also pruning around self-doubt that I think can be equally as powerful. Mm-hmm. And it's almost, well, it just... I don't even know. Maybe there's just a thin, thin piece of paper between those two ideas of narcissism and self-doubt. When I was in my early 20s, I started work at Children's Hospital, and there's only two things that I was really confident of. One, that I belong there, and two, that I have absolutely no idea what I was doing. 
And I had enormous self-doubt. And on my very first week... You started as a brain surgeon, didn't you? I did. As a nurse on the night shift of the adolescent unit. And uh, on my very first week off orientation, I was working nights, and one of my 15 patients was a terminal patient. She was about, I don't know, 17. And um, her mom uh, decided to take that night off for the first time in about two or three weeks um, to be home with their other, like, eight kids. And um, that night, in the middle of the night, she, she blew a hole in her lung. And, and you see stories of in Grey's Anatomy or the ER where everybody rushes in and saves the girl. Our job here was not to save this girl. She, she was a terminal person. And so my job as her nurse was to do something valuable and important and worthy and thoughtful and caring and loving. And I literally stood there thinking... <laughs> I have absolutely no idea. Am I supposed to pray for her? Am I supposed to hold her hand? What am I supposed to do? It was frightening. It was powerful. It was extraordinary. And it was a Saturday night, I remember, because I showed up here to go to church afterwards because I just thought I was supposed to do something. I fell sound asleep in the pew. I, I, I fell sound asleep. So fast forward about, I don't know, two years later. It's Christmas Day. Um, I, in these two years, there's been a lot of pruning going on. These uh, teachers of mine, these kids and their families in this place, this enormously amazing place called Children's Hospital, taught me a lot of things. It's now Christmas Day. It's the middle of the day, and I get a page uh, for the, from the supervisor to go show up back on this adolescent unit, and there's a boy who's checked himself in, also a teenager um, who was dying. Our job was not to save him but to be with him. And amazing, this fruit. I, I, I knew just exactly what to do. And no one in the room, um, everybody in the room was talking really loudly, uh, which people do when they're afraid. His parents and the chaplain and the nurse and the respiratory therapist were all there. And I walked in and I, I just, I, I felt so peaceful. I held him, and I said, you are not alone, and I, we are here, and we love you, and you can go home, and you will be with someone. And it was the most glorious, amazing experience. It didn't get there by accident. It wasn't like it was just the next day. It was a pruning over time. It felt just exactly like I was supposed to be in that place. This friend that died last week, I'm not, I'm not very good at making lasagna for people. I'm really bad at inviting people over for dinner and saying, come join us. I could have supported this family a thousand other ways. But when the mom, who's the ex-wife of our friend, called and said, I am not allowed in the room, and my kids want to be with their dad, would you go? I said, I know exactly what to do. I have the fruit of that branch is abundant. It was effortless. I even feel embarrassed telling you about it. It was so effortless. It was such a joy and blessing for me, I I could fall to my knees. It was being called into a deep gladness. It was resonating with every little bit that I am to stand there with those kids night after night after night and help them walk through anger and abandonment and fear and sorrow and love. I feel like God prunes us, not only in places of narcissism, of which branches get whacked off on a daily basis for me, but also out of doubt, 
because I think as Michelle was saying, it's like that quote, that Frederick Buechner quote that I love. The place God calls you is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. And when you're standing in that deep gladness, the fruit is just heavy. It's heavy. It's so full. Well, thanks. Let's thank these guys. I think you have a sense about how we, I, I had a ton more questions to ask you, but this is the sense in which we, when we gather together around scripture and bring our own experiences in our life and how this scripture has actually read us more than we have read it. This is when, this is when it gets dynamic and it gets exciting. This is how we begin to understand how to, to live into this great mystery of, of connection in which it is not about us, by ourselves, not simply about God in which it doesn't connect to reality, but the convergence of the two in which it comes together and something becomes dynamic and powerful.